0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Who's on? Is that? That's
1: the second time it's gone off. Oh. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those
0: boys. That's. Yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Oh, you can laugh after to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about.
2: What did you know? I'd like you stay alive for
0: six oh, I'd like days, i would
2: okay, say it to you, folks, I'll say it to you, it to well, you now. I'm now. down to one and
1: we'll see them What you are doing down here, you're showing me, man.
0: <laughs> it's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. Oh, my David and Ken Early here. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling amazing. I know I know this FIFA stuff, it's all terrible for football, but it's bloody good for Thursday podcasts, Ken. It is. I'll tell you that for nothing. Right in the, we're in the middle of the biggest FIFA corruption story Probably of all FIFA production stories, and there have been quite a few, it's almost impossible to pick out the highlight of all the events over the last day and a half, but I quite like this nugget from a piece by Michael Schmidt and Sam Borden of the New York Times. They were up bright and early yesterday morning. To witness the Swiss. I don't know
3: if they had a tip off, Ken. It seemed as though uh, it was either extremely crazy <laughs> or maybe, maybe somebody mentioned there might be something happening. They around.
0: witnessed the Swiss law enforcement officers hit the lobby of the rather plush, uh, it's Bar O'Lac. is that it? Bar-O-Lac Hotel, Lack Lack Hotel in. in Zurich. So this is from the piece. The concierge wasn't, but essentially these two boys were amazed at how, I don't know how many. Takedowns Schmidt and Borden have seen but it sounds like they're quite familiar with how the US go about these things and they're amazed about how polite everything was and how ordered everything was in this uh, Swiss effort. The concierge was instructed to call one executive's room and one of the most significant takedowns in international sports history was underway. Sir, the concierge said in English, I'm just calling you to say that we're going to need you to come to your door and open it for us or else we're going to have to kick it in. <laughs> the concierge have to carry out the threats. Good morning, should, sir. Good morning. Sir. How are you? Yeah, we're going to be to kick your door in now. Yeah. Police are here.
3: You saw the photograph of the concierge um, with a uh, holding aloft a discreet veil of, a, of what looked like an extremely expensive Egyptian cotton <laughs> uh, sheet I love that, yeah. uh, to create a, a little tunnel of, of discretion for the for the disgraced FIFA official. We don't know who it was because the concierge heroically shielded him from from being papped yeah. as they dragged him out the door into the uh, into the police. It was an church. amazing
0: scene. They were all, a lot of them were the uh, police and the whatever type of uh, uh, type of guys these were, were going up to the floors and uh, not having to kick any doors down as it happened because everybody was quite, I wouldn't say relaxed about it, but they were quite ordered about it. The FIFA officials packed their bags, some of them emblazoned the FIFA logos, walked calmly out, were shielded by those sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was all done in uh, a fairly amicable way, as amicable as you can be arrested uh, in, that ty- yeah. type of a way.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, oftentimes these these American arrests are, are made by uh, sort of what looks like the 101st Airborne Division, you know, <laughs> like these heavily armed men abseiling in, you know, sort of bashing down doors, uh, tear gas and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's kind of a pity, actually, that that, that didn't happen, although you've got some... Uh, sort of senior citizens being arrested here, many of whom I expect quite shortly to to be reporting illnesses. Oh, I'm very ill. I'm not sure if I'm up for the uh, the transatlantic flight, the rendition to the United States. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bit of that happening.
0: And I'm very much looking forward to today's report on sport.
3: Well, here we are, Owen, looking on at this from a, from a distant corner of the football world. Uh, this rain-lashed crag on the edge of Europe. Uh, and yet... How happy are we, Owen, our small island nation, to have sent uh, to this, uh, these events in Zurich one of the most important people uh, in, the, in the whole drama, John Delaney, Owen. <laughs> Everyone is watching, the world is watching to see what he's going to do next. Mm-hmm. Uh, because John Nostradamus Delaney, uh, just before this all kicked off, um, declared uh, his own interests. Uh, in this, and he he slammed step Ladder before it was uh, profitable or popular to do so. Uh, This was uh, the day before all of these arrests took place. Um, Delaney said, regardless of the good he claims to have done during his tenure, he has to recognise that FIFA has an incredibly bad brand image. If he was doing the right thing by football, which he says he cares and loves, then he should step aside and let somebody else come forward and improve the image of the world game. I had a hell of a run at it. But surely he knows in his private moments, he must know that outside of the voting chambers that the world, the football public, the players and supporters want change. We won't be voting for him. That's John Delaney talking about Zepp Platter before any of the arrests were made. And uh, he does seem to have a degree of insight into Seth Platter's peculiar situation. The lonely, embattled head of a disgraced organization with a really bad image and how maybe he should step aside just for the good of the uh, game, which obviously he's not going to do. But Delaney explained um, that UEFA is a very different kind of organization. Uh, UEFA's image is very good, uh, which is run by a good friend of mine, Michel Platini, he says. I can go to UEFA and ask, can we increase the Euros from 16 teams to 24, which I did. They get that. You can talk to UEFA about 13 countries hosting tournament in 2020. It gets discussed and gets done. But at FIFA, you can't.
0: <laughs> so hang on a second. <laughs> at UEFA, Michel Platini gives John Delaney everything he wants. John Delaney loves Michel Platini. Yeah. He doesn't quite have the same sway with Sepp Blatter.
3: Well, look, Michel Platini's prepared to listen to good ideas. You know, uh, it's John Delaney had the idea of expanding the, the Euros uh, to 24 teams. Platini said, Consider it done, John. Same thing with this 13 country uh, hosting uh, arrangement. Again, John Delaney. Took, the, took the initiative in creating the in creating the thirteen team host concept. And mean, Blatini, I suppose executed executed the idea, and uh, and that's what that's one of the things John Delaney likes about UEFA. I have no problem telling anybody, telling the world now that we will not be voting for step Blatter. There is a permanent controversy at FIFA. So that's John Delaney. Who today you can read in the Irish Independent, um, John Delaney has written a column. I mean, he's he's even got a sort of a a columnist-style uh, <laughs> picture, you know, a sort of a waist-up shot. I don't know actually if it was taken specifically for this because John Delaney's. I don't know if the, if it's reading too much into it to say he's almost got a furtive expression in his eyes as he glances up towards the camera. Well,
0: the one I'm looking at, uh, if it's the same pic, looks to be taken straight from John the Baptist. Again, that's all. I'm, that's all. I'm it saying.
3: could. It could well be. They,
0: they've got a good stock of photographs from the John the, the Baptist project, and they're willing to use one today.
3: Uh, John Delaney, I mean, it's calling for change um, and calling for transparency. Uh, The You Boys in Green fan organization say, great to see John Delaney calling for transparency. When is the press briefing to tell us what happened with the Scotland tickets? (laughs) Uh, So I'm sure that's probably in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. But, um, I mean, there are some other minor players in this. We all know that John Delaney is pretty much the central figure in this drama. But there are some other minor players, such as the U.S. Attorney General, General Loretta Lynch, who has uh, launched this um, massive investigation and and sort of hit them with all these arrests yesterday morning. And this is a terrifying thing for FIFA to see. Not so much the arrests, those kinds of things have have happened before, so much as the spectacle of these very important U.S. uh, justice and law enforcement people all lining up to be part of this public press conference. That's the terrifying thing about this. You do not get the U.S. Attorney General... Uh, doing this kind of thing, you do, you do not have the chief of criminal investigation for the IRS, a terrifying-looking man. Um, well, he also looked a little bit like Roddy Doyle. It has to be said. But imagine, imagine Roddy Doyle if he was just a little bit more austere somehow, uh, if he was just a little bit more frightening. The, the light reflecting from his glasses, uh, his you know his perfectly bald head, a kind of a um, the kind of man we've all seen in our tax compliance nightmare zone. <laughs> Uh not a man who's satisfied with with uh you know that you know, we we can all imagine I mean that you remember that episode of The Simpsons where Homer Simpson tries to file his tax return? He wouldn't be satisfied with that. That crumpled up ball of, of you know, maybe I think I think my tax return ought to be about this much. He's not gonna be satisfied. No,
0: he's a dot your eyes kinda of, kinda of guy. He's
3: a yeah, and uh dot your eyes across the T's. And it looks as though FIFA really haven't been haven't been doing that kind of thing. When people like that are getting involved, uh, they expect they expect that this investigation is going to yield some some big names, maybe bigger than the names they've already um, they've already arrested. The biggest name of him is Jeffrey Webb, uh, the, he was the president of uh, CONCACAF, um, the North American Federation, and he is a man whom Sapphler has has been very close with, grown in, in, increasingly close to, in recent years. And has in fact uh, mentioned as a possible successor. Um, he has he, he's mentioned that this guy Webb uh, could well uh, take this president. The next president could well be Jeffrey Webb. This is Blatter speaking two years ago.
0: Webb, so Webb is the guy who took over from Jack Warner. Yes, uh, disgraced Jack Warner.
3: The, the disgraced Jack Warner, who was disgraced largely as a result of this young, uh, the young up and coming uh, Jeffrey Webb, who who laid bare a couple of issues. Mm we Warner, I think. I think there was go. a little bit of
0: Chuck Blazer thrown in there, Ken. I hope we get to Chuck at some stage. We're, but, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping ahead here. We're I'm getting ahead, we're getting
3: yeah. we're getting straight to Chuck. I just thought uh, um with this guy with this guy, Jeffrey Webb, this is a big blow at Blatter, a kind of a protege of his. Um and for him to be one of the guys who's who's involved here is is going to be damaging, I think, because the whole the way that this works, the way that the Americans do this, they're they're approaching it like an organised crime investigation, and the idea is that you get you, you get to certain people who are involved, you flip them, and suddenly they're working for you and telling you everything they know in the hope of getting a reduced uh, plea plea uh, or, or rather reduced sentence. And uh, the man that you mentioned, there Owen Chuck Blazer, has been key to all this. Um, now we've, we've talked about Chuck Blazer before the way in which the Americans said, Hey Chuck, we, we can't help noticing that you live in like this really nice apartment in Trump tower and you've got like another really nice apartment in Trump tower and you're driving around in this Hummer, um, and on your credit cards is a hell of a lot of action. You've spent like $26 million over the last, you know, seven years. (laughs) It seems like a lot. And yet you haven't, you haven't made any tax returns. You haven't made any tax returns. For yourself, and you haven't made any tax returns for CONCACAF, the organization you're supposed to be running. The hell's going on here, Chuck? This doesn't look good. What, you know, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And uh, what they ended up getting Chuck Blazer to do was to wear a wire at uh, FIFA meetings. Oh, so, you know, whatever else he told them, but he was also wearing a wire. A friend of mine said, you'd be hours searching for wire on Chuck Blazer, a man whose who's decadent lifestyle... Well, I mean, you were particularly impressed by one aspect of his. Uh, well,
0: I remember, yeah, I do remember speaking to you about Honor the Giant not so long ago Ken, the wrestler, and mm. stating that he reached weights of five hundred and fifty pounds or something like this. Yeah, it could have even been more than that. And you, you were aghast. You were a nah, human being. No, that's not going to happen. This is Honor the Giant was a guy who was essentially paid. You know, he he was a giant, and he was essentially essentially paid to get as big as he possibly could. Uh, that helped. That helped sell tickets. You know, it's going to be harder for Hulk Hogan to throw him down, Ken, uh, the bigger he got. Chuck Blazer managed his uh, opulent lifestyle, his enjoyment of the finer things in life, helped to build him into uh, a size of 450 pounds, apparently.
3: Yeah, a truly I was gigantic. Quite struck by that weight. A truly gigantic man. Um, he, I mean, he had, he had such a good time for such a long time. Uh, but not anymore, unfortunately. Now he's uh, he's actually in hospital. There's an article you can read in the Irish Times, um, I think it's from the New York Times originally by Jerry Longman, who has gone to uh, he he's known Blazer for a long for a long time. He's I suppose been covering him for for many years. He actually went to see him in the ward, and Blazer just sort of sort of looks at him and mouths the words, I can't talk. Um but he's done plenty of talking to to the FBI, they, Longman mentions uh, the unusual confrontation with federal authorities in the autumn of 2011. Uh, as Mr. Blazer wheeled down Fifth Avenue in a motorized scooter headed for a meal at Elaine's, the now closed celebrity restaurant, he was intercepted by an agent from the FBI and another from the IRS and was reportedly told, we can take you away in handcuffs now or you can cooperate. So this is the problem for Seth Platter now. This is the problem. There's There's these... Um, guys have all been arrested. Many of them are close to him. There's another investigation. It's not just the Americans. There's also the Swiss who have ta- who have uh, taken in for questioning ten former members of the FIFA executive committee. Their investigation. The American investigation has to do with essentially bribes, corruption, racketeering. They call it in their most menacing sounding language because racketeering means you know they they consider it to be organized crime. You know if you're getting charged in the racketeering laws you're in trouble.
0: No, you, you hear racketeering, you think mafia. Yeah. That's, that's the way, that's that's the association I would have.
3: John Delaney said on, on the radio, yes, this is like something out of a mafia movie. Once again, he's got his finger on the pulse of this whole thing. He he understands exactly how all this works. You know, he's, he's. if you want to know what's going on here, you could do worse than listen to John Delaney's uh, comments about, although I do think he might have got a few backs up or in the rest of the world, but with his, his column today in the Irish Independent, in which he talks about how Uh, Europe is an example to the world. He essentially seems to be telling, you know, the Brazilians, the Argentinians or whatever, that they should be looking to countries like Ireland to find out how this ought to be done.
0: Well, he goes, uh, certainly UEFA. He says, national associations across the globe, (coughs) excuse me, national associations across the globe should look to UEFA as an example of what can be achieved with the proper structures and a genuine interest in furthering the development of the sport. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how happy I'd be if I was sitting there in my Buenos Aires, the equivalent of the FAI of, of, of Buenos Aires, Of Argentina in my plush office there, thinking, hang on a second, we've done okay over the years.
3: Yeah, look, he's, um, you know, he's he's an example. He's a light to the world, and hopefully the world will wake up to that. But um, what what Blazer did essentially was was give them all these guys, and now they'll be hoping to ensure that these guys give them even bigger fish. And the question is whether Seth Platter has built in a a kind of a a firewall, um, which will protect him. From, um, from actually being... I mean, the thing is that Teplatter is smart enough to have avoided getting mixed up in any of this. of these, these. Some of these guys who are being... I mean, for instance, the, the Warner um, Sons were already taken in before. They, um, you know, they, were, they were doing really stupid stuff. They were, they were walking around in, in Florida, Jack Warner Sons, depositing 7,000 euros in the bank because 7,000 euros was just under the $10,000 limit, uh, above which you've got to show ID. And so, what, and they were just putting in 7,000 euros, 7,000 euros, 7,000 euros. And at one point, um, the exchange rate had kind of fluctuated a bit, and 7,000 euros was over $10,000. So the guy was asked to show driver's license. He said, "Uh, Actually, can you give me 500 euros back? Now, to be honest, if I'm the bank bank teller, I'm saying, Oh, you know, we had a guy come in. It was a bit weird. Like he had all all this money, all these euros. And then, you know, when, when when it came over, when I asked him to show ID, he asked for some of his money back. So he didn't have to show the ID. When people are buying apartments in Miami for cash, to be honest. If I'm, you know... I think that's risky behaviour.
0: Chuck Blazer, you mentioned the two apartments he has in Trump Plaza in New York. One of those, uh, according to one of the articles of the last couple of days, one of those apartments uh, was for the sole use of his cats.
3: I mean, that's, that's the kind of detail that, like, a newspaper can't resist printing... The truth was that it was a—it was kind of his office, but yes, the only people who lived there were his cats, and I suppose, in a sense, it was their house. <laughs> I mean, he said it was an office, but I mean, this is a guy who's been kind of trying to pretend these things were business expenses. You know, his his forty eight thousand dollars home, or you know, his apartments. In,
0: oh, in fairness, there were a bunch of those cats in there, so it was reasonable. It was like a, a J one bunch of J one students. Yeah, little, they were li- seven or eight cats all living into a small little. Well, I would say probably quite large apartment there in Trump Plaza. Look,
3: all the apartments there are reasonably nice. Um, I mean, the question is whether one of them will have any any actual dirt on Sepp Blatter. I mean, that's, that shouldn't be the question. The question really should be this organization, a big chunk of FIFA has just fallen off. You know, it's, it's incredibly embarrassing. It's, it's a huge scandal. And yet Sepp Blatter, supposedly tomorrow, is going to run again for election and probably win. And it's, it's, it's a disgrace, you know, by anyone's standards. But, you know, a disgrace in itself is not, that's not really a problem. What could be a problem is if the Swiss authorities decide, you know, this is the cause of really making us look bad at this stage. Switzerland and the United States have been having a few issues in recent uh, years. The United States is angry that Switzerland's famous banking system, famously discreet, similar to the, the world-class service you get from the Bar La Concierge, um <laughs> the Swiss banks will, you know, they, they don't ask questions. I mean, that's their, their international reputation is, is based on that. And there have been some, pro- they, the Swiss banking systems had some problems in recent times. For instance, Uli hernes you know, Uli hernes didn't think that his Swiss bank detail, uh, dealings were going to suddenly become public. And yet they did. You know, that was a, uh, a breach of, of the famous discretion, you know, unintentional, of course. You know, someone got this information. Who knows how that happened? But, you know, um... The United States um, essentially are a little bit unhappy that some that the Swiss have been helping some of their citizens, or rather the Swiss system. I'm not saying the Swiss have been deliberately conniving with these people. But, you know, the way the Swiss system works, with its world-famous discretion, has been helping U.S. nationals um, to avoid paying tax, which they really don't like in the United States. They really don't like that. So they've been kind of saying to the Swiss, we don't like what you're doing here. If the Swiss decide that, hang on, you know, maybe if we were to help the Americans with this, that might be a kind of, uh, you know, given that we've been having these tense discussions in recent years, maybe if we were to give them a few heads on plates in this particular instance, or help them with that, then, you know, that's that. Those kinds of questions are dangerous for Sepp Blatter. I mean, at the moment, his position looks still looks strong, but there's no telling where the ground might fall. Does out it still looks strong
0: them. despite all of this. It still does. It still does. Yeah um i mean <laughs> what would it take for not to, because as you say he's not he's too too smart and too powerful to need to get involved in the the lower level kind of stuff that we're we're talking about with some of these characters uh yet he has presided over all of it i mean he's the boss and he's been the boss for all, all these controversies that have happened over the years so if this isn't if the only way to actually get him is to catch him red-handed or something, he won't be caught because he's not doing anything no. that we can see anyway.
3: There's no need for him to do anything. No, no need like, for him to do there's anything. no need for him to take any money. No, he's he's he. I mean, for instance, this, the the brilliant uh, Bloomberg article that was written um, uh, back in April by Tariq Panja and a couple of other guys from Bloomberg. Really good uh, kind of profile of bladder and the organization. You know, talking about him touring around. You know, the, he stays in every night in like a $3,000 a night hotel suite. You know, he doesn't need to. That's just all in expenses. He essentially has this incredibly opulent lifestyle, which is all just paid by FIFA expenses. And he gets paid a ton of money by FIFA. There's no need for him to take any money. He literally can't. He couldn't. Even if, if he was to take money, he couldn't spend it. You know, there's no... There's no need. I mean, really, what it has to do with the, is it, he's kind of presiding over an organization which, these, you know, clearly is rotten on se- on several fronts. People are just like, oh, you know, making money off bribes. That's just the way you do things here. He's not taking any money himself, but he's allowing all this to happen. Oh, of
0: course, but uh, we we knew that. We know that. We knew that before. We know that now, and yet you're saying he's still in a strong
3: position because his position. He's only accountable to. He's only accountable to his own organization. He's on the only. Judgement that he faces really is by um, is is by the say the presidential vote, which is supposed to happen tomorrow, and all of these national f- uh, conf- uh, federations will still vote for him.
0: Albeit, he tends to have very positive relationships with you know world leaders. And these kind of characters, which may change now. Uh, th- this is so big that that it depends might which switch.
3: which world leader uh, you ask. I mean, David Cameron's talking about this now today. He says he he supports Prince Ali, the Jordanian prince who's running against him. So he's against Vladimir But he was humiliated, of course. He he went over to personally lobby for um, the 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 England bid for the twenty eighteen World Cup, and it went to Russia. Um, prince
0: Ali suddenly has to get a plan together here. Oh, pr- uh, hang on! <laughs> I might have a half a chance here. What am I going to do if I'm FIFA president? <sighs> he,
3: he he certainly didn't expect to win this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of Russia, Vladimir uh, Putin has also spoken about this. Um, Uh, He's not impressed by what's going on. He says, unfortunately, our American partners are using these methods in order to achieve their own selfish gains. It's illegal to persecute people. I wouldn't rule out that in regards to FIFA. The same thing could be happening, though. I don't know how it will end. The fact that this is happening, though, right on the eve of the FIFA presidential elections gives one this exact impression. This is yet one more attempt by the Americans to try and impose the law against other states. Um, Essentially, that the the Americans are, are... trying to act as though they actually run the whole world, which isn't true. I mean, they're just one country. Um, but they do. The, America America does have a long arm, legally speaking. I mean, pretty much every every country in the Americas is kind of, I'm not saying <laughs> part of their imperium, but it is, They, you know, all of those countries have extradition treaties with the United States. Most countries have an extradition treaty with the United States. Russia doesn't. Qatar doesn't. Andorra doesn't. But most countries in Europe do. uh, All the countries in the Americas, a lot of the African countries, you can still find a lot of African countries where you'll be safe from a U.S. extradition. Uh, And the same throughout Asia, you know, you can find countries. um, But most of the type of countries Sepp Blatter might like to spend the rest of his life in (laughs) do have an extradition treaty with the United States, unfortunately, including Switzerland. Um, Putin is saying... It's, it's another attempt to try and impose the law against other states. I'm absolutely sure it's an attempt to try and stop Blatter from being re-elected as FIFA president, which is a grave breach of the principles of a functioning international organization. Pressures have been applied on Blatter to force him to take the 2018 World Cup from Russia. We know his position, which has nothing to do with any kind of special relationship between Russia and FIFA. He thinks sport and politics should be separate. In terms of these arrests, it looks very strange at the least. These arrests took place at the request of the Americans, and they're accused of corruption. Basically... Bit of a rambling statement from Putin, but you can see what side he's on. He's very much, President Blatter hasn't done anything wrong here. Yeah, he it's very much wants to keep that, uh, keep that
0: World Cup in Russia. Yeah, I mean, uh, we know what the Americans are like. But funny, the more direct, the it well, uh, looks as though the investigation with the more direct impact on the Russian guitar World Cups... Would be the Swiss one. Would be the Swiss one, because they're looking specifically at those two World Cups.
3: But he can't complain that the Swiss are, are, are acting as though you know are, are acting as though they're the world police this is something that's happening in their own country um if they want to look at it <laughs> even Bin got really complained about that so I mean it's yeah it's amazing it's it's just an amazing thing you know you've got prime minister's presidents all lobbing insults around um Blatter, platter no one's seen him yet he supposedly has had a meeting with representatives from the six confederations of FIFA that's today uh, we don't know what's happened there, and he's cancelled the series of appearances that he was supposed to make. I mean, this was just supposed to be coronation week for him. He was supposed to be just wandering around and uh, you know being applauded by people. Um, instead, he hasn't he hasn't done anything. So I'm sure he'll have to at some point, and everybody's looking forward to that. But just what a what a disaster for them, really. Uh, and I can't wait to see what John Delaney's going to do next.
0: That's the end of Kennedys. Report on sport. Oh, dear, oh, dear. oh dear. Bakery,
1: ooh, got involved in a logistics company in Waterford. Apparently involved in a furniture shop that alone. We leased a pub in Tralee. John Delaney could run anything. Ah, OK. Yeah, well, when he comes up, then, give me a show, yeah yeah. I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow, too. Don't forget that. Ouch, dear, oh, dear. oh.
0: We're going to keep talking about this now because David Goldblatt is ready to go, author of The Ball is Round, a global history of soccer, among many other books. David, it was such a stunning day yesterday, such an exciting and historic day in so many ways. But now that the dust is settling a small bit, is, uh, Sepp Blatter has seen off a lot of crises over the years. How is this one? Any Is this any different? And if so, how is it different?
2: Oh, it's very different. The first thing is that the American uh, state is involved. Uh, The FBI has finally got its teeth into the uh, networks of corruption and bribery uh, within the global football world. And, uh, you know, they don't mess about and they will take you to court and they will extradite you. Uh, And if you look back to uh, the Salt Lake City bid in 2002 for the 2002 Winter Olympics, that's what finally broke the IOC and forced a measure of reform when the FBI got involved. We've also got to change because Swiss law has changed. Uh, until recently, it was not illegal for um, bribes to be uh, passed around international organisations on Swiss territory, would you believe? But that law has been amended and now the Swiss Attorney General's office is, uh, is on to FIFA. Um, so this is, you know, this, this is a kind of legal and political situation that is completely unprecedented. Uh, people are going to go to jail at the end of this uh, and it will not be possible to go back to the old order um the way in which fifa has dealt with past allegations of corruption um so yeah we're in we're in new territory
3: which do you think is a more dangerous investigation from saplatter's point of view the american one into bribery or the swiss one into the 2018 or 2022 world cups
2: um dangerous in what sense dangerous um for him personally yes uh or um, or uh for the kind of organization as a whole i mean uh, so far, you know, Blatter um, appears. Um, you know, he's not a man who puts his thing, his hand in the tilt. He draws a splendid salary, which he keeps secret from us, and has an absolutely stupendous expenses account. But um, um, I have never heard a plausible allegation that he has been directly involved in that kind of activity. So at that level, uh, I'm not sure. You know, we'll see. I mean, you know, I'm prepared to believe that anything could come out. Um, But I'm not sure that he is personally in danger from either of those. But, you know, Blatter's only life is being FIFA president, Uh, I mean, that's part of the problem. You know, he can't imagine doing anything else or being anything else. And he will hold on uh, just as long as he can. And there, I think, you know, the biggest danger is... Well, it's the two things combined. and You've now got football associations, sponsors, um, beginning to speak out in a way that has never happened before. And I think even for an escapologist of his brilliance, it will be difficult to actually hold on to his post in the medium term.
3: Well, I mean, what about, what about the extreme short term? The presidential election, which is still supposed to go ahead for tomorrow, um, I mean, it, it's,
2: it's hard starting... to read the runes. I mean, you know, until until yesterday, it was a done deal. The uh, Blatter's um, coalition of delegates from uh, Africa in particular, parts of Asia, Latin America, um, ensured him a victory over Prince Ali. Prince Ali's camp uh, and um, his allies in UEFA this morning are saying, no, we want the election to go ahead. Um, we still think we can win. Um, maybe enough um, votes can move. Maybe this will actually begin to shake that coalition and some of the people who previously would have voted Blatter are thinking, maybe I need to be with a new winning team. It's really hard. I mean, I'm sitting in my office in Bristol rather than on the ground in uh, Zurich, so it's really hard to know how that will go. I would still back Blatter for the moment uh, to make it um but um you know how long he can last after that even with his kind of uh, shameless uh attitude to um you know uh public disgrace is uh, is another matter david maybe you can explain something to us because okay we can you can we can kind of understand
3: how Seth platter's political power works i mean he you know he commands the loyalty of lots and lots of um confederate or national confederations of various uh, various sizes, a lot of them small um, and largely based on the fact that he's the, he, he's kind of at the centre of this web of patronage uh, FIFA are doling out money in the form of the financial assistance programme and the Goal programme. So on average I think um, we're talking about three or four million dollars a year to each of these uh, little countries. And, and the smaller the country, the bigger 3 or $4 million is. So um, people have always been loyal to him on that basis. But what I don't understand is that anybody who occupied Sepp Blatter's office could dole out 3 or $4 million a year. And I would expect them to do that. I mean, what else would they be doing with their money? So why uh, does doing that uh, g- get him sort of this personal loyalty from, from everyone else? I mean, surely they could vote to anyone and get the same amount of money.
2: Sure. People underestimate Blatter. I mean, in person, he is a remarkably charismatic man. He's been doing this job as General Secretary for 17 years. He was Joao Havalange, his predecessor's General Secretary, uh, and learnt at the feet of the master who created this whole apparatus. Um, And, um, you know, it's not merely instrumental. People like him. Um, and you know, on a number of occasions, um, he has made a real difference. Um, for example, you know, in Africa, um, he was instrumental in uh, in securing the uh, the World Cup for South Africa. Defended the rights and interests of South a- of African nations um, to host a World Cup when there were a lot of criticisms. Uh, some of them, you know. Um, I would say, you know, with a measure of veiled racism to them, coming out of the global north saying Africa can't possibly host a World Cup. When people wanted to ban the Vuvuzela at South Africa 2010, Blatter said, you know, this is the sound of Africa. You've just got to deal with it. And um, for that reason, you know, he has built a very considerable constituency. So we underestimate him um, at at our peril.
0: You mentioned the sponsors earlier on and Visa are among the ones who've come out now and uh, almost, well, I guess, threatened FIFA, if that's not too strong a word. Our disappointment and concern with FIFA in light of today's developments is profound. They said last night, as a sponsor, we expect FIFA to take swift and immediate steps to address these issues within its organisation. And it goes on about what Visa see as the values of sport, etc. Then it says, should FIFA fail to do all this, we've informed them that we will reassess our sponsorship. I, I, is that a genuine issue for Sepp Blatter and for FIFA the fact that they could actually lose all these major sponsors or will Sepp Blatter just think alright well things actually ended pretty messily with Mastercard last time out but maybe we'll have a little nibble at them again and get this sorted one way or the other
2: Well, you wouldn't imagine that Mastercard are exactly champing at the bit (laughs) to renew their sponsorship relationship. What about what about uh,
3: Gazprom uh, though, or or Qatar? I mean, is there any? You know, everybody wants to sponsor the World Cup. I mean, if if Visa, if you know, Visa turning up their nose at it. Visa Visa apparently have suddenly realised that FIFA are are a dodgy organisation, and they've suddenly realised this in 2015. There's got to be a few uh, corporations out there who are who are willing to fill that gap.
2: Yeah, there will be. I mean, you know, I noticed that Gazprom, for example, is not making a great deal of noise about what's going on. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a mixed thing. First of all, to say, you know, that the sponsors actually only pay up, you know, I would say about 25% of uh, of FIFA's income. And people have overestimated their financial contribution. The absolutely most important thing is the broadcasters. That's where the really the biggest money is. And um, it will be really interesting to see whether some broadcasters um, are going to come forward and have something to say about it, all of whom are making terrific money out of the World Cup because you don't buy those rights without, you know, good commercial reason. Um, Secondly, to say that even though there will no doubt be unscrupulous companies who are prepared to step into the breach if some of the current sponsors um, drop out, it's terrific news that finally these people are acting. And yes, of course, they knew that things were bad. And of course, um, you know, there is a degree of duplicity here and cost benefit, you know, rather cynical cost benefit analysis um, in these corporations. Um, but I don't think we should be too sententious about it. You know, we need we want to get Blatter out. We want a serious process of reform to go on at FIFA. And, you know, um, we need all the support we can get. So good for Visa, act upon it. The other uh, sponsors should act in a similar fashion, Um, and then, you know, then we can get some progress. You say we want to get um, bladder out, David. I mean, uh, you know,
3: who's we, I suppose, in that instance? It seems everybody in Europe wants them out. I mean, UEFA is totally against bladder now, um, you know, openly speaking against them, um, but nobody seems to want to follow their lead. I mean, we've got, for instance, the FAI's chief executive, John Delaney. He's, He's actually written a column in one of the papers here today, um talking about how, how bladder has got to go and he mentions in it that UEFA have uh, been champions of good governance throughout all this, but the rest of the world seems really unimpressed. Nobody seems to want to follow
2: UEFA's shining
3: lead here. Why is that?
2: Well, uh, there are, first of all, it's not just about football associations I mean, of course, that's the constituency that ultimately has got the vote in uh, in the election for the presidency. But when I say we, I mean, there is a bigger global football community here. And, you know, Nigerian football, on um, African football, football in Latin America is not properly represented, you know, by the confederations or the national associations. Indeed, quite the contrary. Often these people have interests and act in a way that is contrary to the interests of players, football fans, grassroots football, you know, and all the people, you know, to whom football, you know, gives so much pleasure and joy. And that constituency, I would say, across the world, vast majority of um, football fans who are engaged with this at any level, want some profound change.
0: Just on UEFA, David, there's another a tweet last night from Owen Gibson. It's actually about something Tim Vickery said. Uh, Tim Vickery based in South America for a long number of years, obviously. He's, and Vickery said, UEFA needs to engage with the rest of the world and offer a better alternative rather than throwing their weight around. Is there a sense that nobody's really offering this great alternative? There was a, a good Bloomberg article following Seth Blatter on the campaign trail, and in most places, he was the only one allowed to speak. He would give a presidential address, and this is when Figo and a few others were still involved, but in uh, when he was allowed to speak in front of the UEFA, UEFA, Figo, pretty much offered the same thing Sepp Blatter was offering in terms of, oh, we'll give even more grants, we'll give even more money. Is there a sense that nobody really from from UEFA or anywhere is actually offering a proper alternative to Sepp Blatter and a proper alternative to the way things are done in FIFA?
2: Yeah, no, Tim Vickery is spot on. I mean, I think we've got to start from the position that it's a good thing that the global game has a global governing body, you know? I mean, that's what we're all trading on and arguing and saying this is the great cosmopolitan, you know, celebration of humanity. So we need a global organisation, not a European organisation. And we need one that demonstrates financial and political solidarity between global north and global south. And, you know, for all um, its faults, FIFA has delivered on attempting to, you know transfer some money expertise and support to places where you know the football economy is grim i mean of course what happens to the money when it gets there is often not a pretty story but that's another matter so we need to retain you know global global solidarity rather than european uh domination uh for sure do we know what that looks like no because nobody's really given any thought to it and to expect to be honest everybody else to come up with it right now this minute with a kind of formed plan is a disaster the whole point of the exercise is we need to move beyond just you know uefa and the football associations uh, being part of this conversation and open it up to a much wider constituency and then we're going to get the ideas then we're going to get the alternatives then we're going to have a process that can create a democratic transparent fifa um you know that actually can deliver on the promise you know and the aims of the organisation, rather than just saying, you know, let's do this now. This is going to take time. You know, it took 100 and whatever years to get to this uh, this mess. It's going to take some time to get out of it.
0: All right, David that brilliant stuff. Thank you.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I take on board what David's saying there about there needing to be a long-term plan in place and that it is about way more than simply UEFA. Uh, it obviously has to be. But the election is tomorrow. So, as I hinted earlier on, I don't know what Prince Ali's long-term plan is. I don't know if it's how good it's going to be for football or not. It's, it's like he's the guy, so really just shouldn't take place tomorrow. No, uh, there, if, if there's there's so much on this now, that if Bladder just gets railroaded in, as could well happen, then we've, we're stuck with Bladder for uh, God knows how much longer. Um, it seems, I don't know how a break can be taken at this stage for there to be actually some sort of thought put into how is this all going to work long term
3: yeah I mean just because Blatter is a, if just because Blatter is elected tomorrow if he's elected tomorrow doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to see it out no
0: no but he's you know he, he's, he can say look that was the middle of the well, that was the end of the most difficult week in many years for FIFA and yet my friends around the world still voted for me they still I still have the mandate of my people that's the way he thinks yeah Certainly I'm he, he sure that's the way
3: he put it you know um but it doesn't necessarily mean that if if you know he could he could be elected and then his position could be made untenable. I mean, something could happen. You know, someone, someone, one of these guys who the, the Americans are investigating now might roll, might sing, uh, you know, might might reveal things which were which made Zapatero's position untenable. It could be that it could uh, very well be the case. You know, there is the issue of the sponsors. I mean, David, um, as David was saying there, maybe it's it's not as though. You know FIFA's big income is from the is from broadcasting, but still, sponsors is an awkward one. You know, if you have got sponsors dropping out and saying this is a disgrace, sooner or later, you know, what the executive committee looking to Sepp and saying, Sepp, you know, what what exactly is the benefit to us of having you as the head of this organization? What are you, what exactly is it that you are bringing that nobody else could do? Um, if the pressure on him as an individual gets so big, I mean, the, the, it is obviously a bigger thing than just Sepp Blatter the individual. I mean, as David is saying there, it's a, maybe this is an opportunity to have a, a massive reform of, of all of these kind of malfunctioning national federations around the world. And it's not maybe, you know, the idea that, oh, it's just Sepp Blatter, you know, it's not just Sepp Blatter, but <laughs> it it does. He's just so brazen, you know, that this has been going on, that he's, he's allowed the sort of world sport to be governed in this way for so long and has just let it go on because it suits him. And it's just, it's it's pretty despicable. And the idea that he could just keep going um, despite all this, is it kind of does stick in the craw.
0: David scoffed at my notion that maybe MasterCard would pick up the slack if Visa were to leave. Uh, there, there were issues there. I mentioned it was a messy divorce between MasterCard and FIFA. This was from that Bloomberg piece you mentioned earlier on, Ken. In 2006, MasterCard sued FIFA in US federal court for betraying it for rival Visa in a renewal of its deal. Mastercard had paid almost $100 million to be a World Cup sponsor for the previous 16 years. This time around, this is back in 2006, FIFA's new director of marketing, Frenchman Jérôme Valka, who's moved up in the world yeah. since, simultaneously negotiated a deal with Mastercard while he and his team fed details of those discussions to FIFA, which uh, to, to Visa, I should say, which eventually got the contract. Stunned, Mastercard sued, arguing it hadn't been given its contractual right to match other offers. US District Judge Loretta Preska in ruling against FIFA wrote FIFA's conduct in performing its obligation and in negotiating for the next sponsorship cycle was anything but fair play, knifing FIFA with its own slogan. So that's why and at that stage MasterCard I think had the option to bid again or whatever it might have been, they said, No, listen, we'll we'll take the settlement here and we're not working with you guys again. So just to clear up what was we, going we on. We would there. rather
3: not sponsor the World Cup and lose out that big advertising opportunity which we think is worth it because we just are not prepared to work with you anymore. You stink was basically what Massacre had said. I mean, there's amazing things in that article. There's one, one thing which I thought was incredible. This is, uh, this is that Bloomberg piece you mentioned. Um, uh, some of the worst offences have gone unpunished. I'm just going to read this out because this, this yeah. was amazing when I read. On the afternoon of January 12, 2010, an earthquake rocked Haiti we all remember that mm-hmm. right? massive humanitarian disaster. Right as the board of the Nation Soccer Association was meeting in its Port-au-Prince headquarters, the president, Yves Jean-Barr, escaped lightly injured as the building collapsed. Rubble-pinned coach Jean-Yves Labaz, who died along with at least 31 others. 31. This is just in the, in the, you know, the FAI, the FAI of Haiti, let's say. The next day, when the phones were back up, Bladder called Jean-Barr and pledged help. FIFA said it sent $250,000 in aid to the head of the North and Central American soccer at the time, Warner, in Trinidad and Tobago. A contributor from South Korea sent an additional uh, $500,000. John Barr says he got only a fraction of it. At first... Quote, we got a small shipment of rice but if you count it up, it was, it was worth less than $10,000, he says. Additional assistance for reopening offices, running matches and other items both brought the total aid received to just $429,000, he says. After jean complained to FIFA and the Regional Confederation, Warner drew up an accounting of how the money was spent. A copy obtained by Bloomberg Businessweek shows receipts of more than 229000 for generators, food, blankets and other supplies from a Trin- Trinidad company, whose address doesn't appear to exist. jean says he never received those supplies. More than $366,000 went towards bringing two Haitian soccer teams to Trinidad and other countries for matches, according to the Ledger. Their flights were arranged by a Warner family travel agency. Their lodging was at Warner's conference centre, the one he built with FIFA money. Warner dragged Jean Bart into it too. The final section of the accounting shows uh, $30,000 allocated to pay for Jean Bart's daughter's medical school bills. Uh, Christina Jean Bart says she didn't receive any money and didn't pursue medical school. Almost five years later, FIFA says it's still investigating the Haitian matter. So, I mean that's just amazing, you know. This is money given for a humanitarian disaster, and he's just pocketed this. But this is again the idea that it's just Jack Warner is wrong. Like this is this system. He's part of this system. When he says I don't, I didn't do anything wrong, he may even believe that. He may even believe I didn't do anything wrong. This is just the way it works here. I mean that's just the way FIFA works, and that's what that's what Blatter has done. And the
0: fact that FIFA, as you say, they are still supposedly investigating that.
3: Not investigating
0: it. And having. I mean, they could have investigated Warner further, but they decided once he stepped down, oh, well, that's it. A presumption of innocence is maintained, I think was the statement at the time. So that's what we're dealing with. We'll tweet a link to that Bloomberg article. We might as well tweet a link to the New York Times piece on the ground yesterday at the hotel. You may have read that one yesterday, but you're um, no harm anyway. I I think I read about 50 articles on this story yesterday. I'm pretty fascinated by it. But there is another story, and that's Jonathan Wilson, who's at Warsaw Airport, having seen an amazing Europa League final last night. Sevilla winning 3-2, against Dnipro, John. This was, uh, for those who watched it, was well worth the time spent. Sevilla, the kings of the Europa League, four UEFA Cups is more than anybody. They've won all four in the last 10 years. What is it about Sevilla and this competition?
1: Um,
0: well, I think, for
1: one thing, they, they take it very seriously. Uh, I think there's been a calculation there that it's a, it's a trophy they can win. Uh, that, you know, they, they look at La Liga and they see Barcelona and they see Real Madrid being streets ahead even Atletico probably the last 2 or 3 years now have the resources that they're they're constantly going to be ahead of Sevilla. So realistically what what a severe target they're not going to get relegated. Um so the Europa League is a is a thing they can win. Um and you know that they they see that as a not as a hassle as many English teams many many English teams seem to but but as an opportunity to to, you know, to win silverware and, and I think also to, to play different opposition they, they, sort of, they seem to really relish the challenges of the Europa League the fact that you do get to play different sides you get to go to different countries and I, I think their fans really relish that as well
3: Well I mean it's four wins in the last ten seasons which is um, you know an incredible amount of European glory uh, for Sevilla they've, they've built a real tradition there why do you think English teams are, are blind to the uh, possibilities offered by this competition which, which Sevilla have embraced?
1: I was thinking about this, and I think there's two things. One is that English teams have two domestic competitions. So in a mid-table Premier League side at the start of the season, they, if they're thinking, like, what are our aims this season? The first thing, make sure we don't get relegated. Whatever happens, don't get relegated. That's number one. Then you've got the League Cup, you've got the FA Cup. And only then, I guess, do you start to think of the Europa League that in terms of prestige, it's still... Probably in, in English minds lags behind those other two domestic competitions. It's, it's always the, the fourth front and it's the first thing to give. Uh, I think there's a psychological issue with English clubs that for some reason playing on a Thursday night really seems to bother people. I don't really know why it's different to play Thursday, Sunday to Wednesday, Saturday, but there's something sort of in the inbuilt rhythms of, of English football which makes it feel um, something that's out of sync that people seem very uncomfortable with it. Uh, so so that's, that seems to, to, be, to be a factor. Um, but I also think there's, there's not many teams in England are in Severe's position of, of being utterly confident in their top-flight status and being able to prioritise something else. That Once you get below probably the top seven or eight in England, you've got teams who you go into every season terrified of being relegated, and that's always a first priority is, is to avoid that. Whereas Severe, I think, are, are pretty confident that even in a really bad year, they're going to finish 12th or 13th. They, they, they don't quite have that... That pressure of relegation. Uh, I also think that in Spain, the way the TV money is distributed, relegation doesn't have such a big financial impact as, as it does in England. There's, there's not those, that vast disparity of sums on offering the top flight to, to the second flight. So relegation is a risk they're more prepared to countenance, but it's actually not a risk that, that's particularly significant anyway.
3: Hey, you're over there, Jonathan, in Warsaw, obviously the, the venue for the, well, no, it wasn't the venue for the, wasn't the venue for the final of Euro 2012? It was one of the main venues in Euro 2012, let's see. Watching a team, Dnipro uh, from Ukraine, the other host nation of that tournament, there's now a war on in Ukraine, Um and the next World Cup is supposed to be going to Russia. I wonder, was there much talk about this situation over there with all the Ukrainians in town? Um, and all of this stuff going down in Zurich with uh, with a bunch of FIFA guys being arrested was the 2018 World Cup a, a subject of discussion for anyone?
1: Uh, the 2018 World Cup. I mean, every time it was raised, and it was raised a few times with both with players and with with the managers, it was it was dead by very quickly. Of sort of, well, we don't really know what's going on. It happened in Zurich, you know, this morning as they were saying yesterday, and you know, we, we've been focused on the game, so we're not really clear. Which I guess is fair enough, but also an easy way of not having to answer the questions. What's certainly been true, what was very evident, just wandering around Warsaw yesterday, then in the stadium, is how many nippo fans had draped themselves in the Ukrainian flag. That Nipopolovsk is in the, you know, it, it's predominantly an ethnically Russian city. It was a, a closed city in Soviet times, so there was a lot of um, a lot of Russians went to Nipopolovsk and settled there, you know, irrespective of people who are sort of indigenous to that area. Um, and yet there was. was yeah, they were all wearing the, the blue and yellow. And whether that's just the ones who, who travel to follow football feel Ukrainian, I don't know. But certainly, of the sample who were in Warsaw yesterday, there was a very pro-Ukrainian feeling. And it, I think you saw even after the the semi-final, there was a sense of just getting to the final was making a statement for Ukraine. And players, I mean, Ruslan Rota on the day before the final was very clear that. Um, you know, he he did the normal thing of oh, you know, football and politics, we should keep them separate. But then he went on to say, but this is our chance to give joy to the people of Eastern Ukraine. Um, uh, uh the, the the other midfielder, he was much more prepared to take on the political connotations of it, and and, and you know, he, he talked about the chaos was the word he used, the, the, the chaos in Eastern Ukraine, and how footballs have a responsibility to try and give something back. So it, the, the the significance of Dnipro reaching the European final given the situation in Ukraine, that certainly was was uh, on people's minds.
0: All right, John the Wilson, listen, have a safe flight. Take care. Cheers, thanks. Yeah, a nice bit of uh, generic background airport music there uh, to <laughs> to set, uh, spot a soundtrack to our interview there with Jonathan. Uh, what In terms of the explanations as to why English teams just don't dig the UEFA Cup anymore, Canada, the Europa League, the fact that they... That Thursday night is seen as some sort of, uh, it's shameful to be playing football on a Thursday night. It's weird, isn't Written it? It's a strange one, isn't it? I don't really get it. And it is true that it's something that, that
3: people complain about. I mean, maybe it's just, it could, from the point of view of supporters, supporters are just annoyed to have to go to matches on Sunday. They'd rather go on Saturday. Um, that's usually the day uh, in England that you go and watch football. It's a bit different here, I suppose. Sunday is, is kind of our day. for for like Gaelic football
0: uh, yeah well Saturdays increasingly with qualifiers over the years Saturdays have um, these things usually just change organically the weekend the Saturday the Saturday 3pm kickoff idea is still some sort of a cachet there but it has moved on it is it's
3: it's the best time I think for uh, for supporters to actually go and watch a game certainly
0: in a country where you could be travelling from Portsmouth up to Newcastle Mm. you probably want to be leaving nice and early and getting home at a reasonable time rather than getting there for uh, you know, whatever time on a, a Sunday night. Just,
3: you know, and the, the way that people do it, I mean, people go, well, have a few pints or whatever. Maybe they don't necessarily want to do that on Sunday. They've got to work the next day. It's like, oh God, do I have to do this? Yeah. I don't know. But from the point of view of the team itself, I don't see how it should make any difference from the, for the from the perspective of the players. I mean, the, the problem with it is, I think that the competition is too long. Uh, I mean, when Tottenham won the competition in uh, 1984... They had to play twelve matches, I think. Was it twelve or eleven matches? Whereas if they want to win it this time, I think it's nineteen, which is like half a league season. You know what I mean? It's insane the number of matches um, that you have to play. I, I, I mean, I think it's too many. UEFA you, you to need to cut it down. It's they've, they're a bit cynical, but they just want to create matches like to to manufacture football content for Thursday night. That's what they're. That's why they have so many matches. They should cut it down a little bit, but. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you, to, no, maybe no. something we'll come back. Here. I just <laughs> I almost lost interest in my own discourse. You're a bit like FIFA investigating
0: one of your people, Ken. Ah, listen, we'll just yeah, presu- you know. the UEFA Cup maintains a presu- there's a presumption of innocence maintained regarding still football. A on very
3: interesting competition.
0: Uh, we've got another show coming out a little later. We're putting the finishing touches on that. That's going to feature a chat with US Murph about LeBron. And if there are any updates to be had regarding the FIFA story. We'll bring those If Sepp Blatter spectacularly steps down in the next hour or so, we will reflect that in our later programme. In the meantime, thanks very much again. Thank you, too. Hon. Thanks a million for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Check out irishtimes.com forward slash podcast for all the other podcasts on the Irish Times platform. In the meantime, take care and thanks for listening. <laughs> fun,
1: is that? That's the second time it's gone never oh. home. They never go home. They never go home, those
3: Acast anbefaler.
1: Mit navn er Anders Mogentarder. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skidesretter alle de der podcaster og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulige ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål.